2: I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
0: Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with John Fort and Julia Borston. Today, a volatile day for tech stocks already. The Nasdaq still on a three-week losing streak, down more than 20 percent from its November high. So where's the bottom? Then Twitter reportedly nears a deal to sell itself to Elon Musk the very latest on that developing story, and why RIP Twitter is trending. And later, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft set up for a huge week of tech earnings. We will tell you how to trade it amid this volatility this hour. John, welcome back, by the way.
3: Thank you. Uh, and we've got to start, of course, with Twitter. Shares are up almost 3% on news that a deal with Elon Musk might be close. Um, but hey, this might be a case of be careful what you wish for, Julia, right? Because he's got to make some interesting leverage moves to make this work.
4: In, yes, interesting indeed. And of course, there are so many implications for the rest of Elon Musk's company. But just honing in on Twitter right now, shares are up nearly 3% on those reports that the company is nearing a deal with elon musk a source close to the situation tells me that the board met yesterday to discuss musk's offer now that he has secured 46 and a half billion dollars in financing and then twitter's board reportedly negotiated with musk late yesterday into the night a deal between the company and musk could be announced as soon as today, according to multiple media reports. But there's still plenty of unknowns. If Twitter secures a Go Shop provision, that would allow it to solicit bids from other potential buyers once a deal is signed. And it's unclear what the breakup fee would be if a deal falls apart. Now, though a deal is far from certain the seriousness of these negotiations is a meaningful milestone wed bush analyst dan ives says quote the street will read this news today as the beginning of the end for twitter as a public company with musk likely now on a path to acquire the company unless unless the second bidder comes into the mix so now we are waiting for more from the company there's been no comment from twitter yet this morning but with twitter's earnings coming on thursday and earnings per share expected to decline by 83 percent the board could be rushing to announce something before that thursday earnings report john
3: <laughs> yeah julia you know it seems like there's the potential d for enormous value destruction here however you care feel about whether elon musk should own this or shouldn't and whether his vision is right for the company or not uh, a big part of how he's planning to finance this is leveraging Tesla shares. And if Tesla does what Netflix did last week or even drops significantly and people start worrying about that, you know, this move and this premium that he's uh, now willing to pay for Twitter might go down uh, looking risky.
0: I had to do a double take, John. You just said value destruction. Isn't that what Twitter's existing board and executives data already? Isn't that why this deal is happening? I understand what you're saying in that the sort of offshoot for Tesla shares, but we got those earnings last week and he's really firing on all cylinders, Julia. I mean, in terms of the opportunity, I know now we can start to talk about this. What can they actually do? And that is a complicated question, but- what have they done? I mean, this has been a stock that has gone nowhere since its IPO.
4: This is a stock that's, that's gone nowhere, but what's been really interesting is in the past year, they've rolled out a bunch of changes and also... Put out this roadmap to continue to iterate and, and expand what Twitter is, what Twitter does, how many people might want to use the platform, and specifically the subscription services that they've been slowly getting out there. That's something that Elon Musk has said he's very interested in. He's been very critical of Twitter's ad supported model. And of course, the vast, vast majority of its revenue is from advertising. So there is this question of what a post Musk Twitter would look like. But to your, to your first point, John, of of what's Musk gonna do with this company once he has it. One of my sources said to me it will be a it will be a dog catches car situation for Musk, or or it could be in terms of him not realizing just how challenging this company is, not just in terms of the business, but the regulatory oversight, the criticism, and really Deirdre becoming a lightning rod for all concerned and criticism about the social well, yeah, b- very social platforms. Twitter's
3: got real costs. I mean it's not free to to run the servers that, that shoot all that information around the world. And you know, there's also whether you like content moderation or not, mm. you can't just stop doing it all together. So is he going to sack he most could. of the workforce in order to, to, you know, cut the reliance on advertising while the subscription business spins up? I mean, it's one thing to talk about this stuff. It's another thing to actually do it when you've also got debt to service.
0: Yeah, I mean, bringing it private, Julia, I mean, he has the leeway to do that easier as a private company than a public company. But good points from John. How do you actually, what does that look like? What are the banks looking for in terms of even getting their money back in this deal?
4: Yeah. And, and certainly you have to wonder what Twitter could look like, or even if it could operate without ads because those subscription services are so nascent. Um, and also you have to look more big picture, Dee, at the, the implications of what this could mean for those other social players. Um, if this deal does get done, is there yeah. less Republican support for, for reform
0: of Section 230? Mm-hmm. And then maybe that's a win for a meta? Yeah, that's a, it's a great point, right? Whatever Elon Musk does over at Twitter, if he's able to, will have implications for the broader space and content moderation. Julia, thank you. We're going to bring in Neelay Patel, CNBC contributor and editor-in-chief of The Verge. Neelay, um, if you've been listening to our conversation, why don't we just continue that? What do you think is the more likely outcome here, value destruction or value creation?
2: Uh, destruction. It's, it's, it, there's no other choice. Uh, the exposure to Tesla is huge both financial and regulatory, every other buyer that has ever looked at Twitter has said, huh, that seems like a problem I don't want to solve. That's Disney, that's Apple, just you name it, Salesforce. They've all looked at it and said, I don't think I can solve that problem. It'll put my core business at risk. To leverage it then against Tesla financially creates a whole new level of of risk. And then when Tesla has to expand in China, when it tries to expand in India, when it tries to expand even farther in Germany, Europe's largest car market, they will Elon will be personally exposed to all of the content regulation problems that all of those countries impose on every service uh, that tries to operate and i think that is just an enormous amount of risk
0: But, Neelay, on the flip side, couldn't he use Twitter to actually help those aims in a place like China, right? Um, If he opens up Twitter for anything and he stops labeling certain accounts as state-affiliated, lets everyone on, couldn't that actually kind of help his case? And I know you say that other businesses have taken a look at Twitter, but Elon Musk isn't a business. He is a highly unusual, ambitious individual (laughs) who is not trying to make money out of this transaction. He says that it's not economic in his aims.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think Elon is an unusual individual. I think there's a good question for all of the companies he runs uh, to ask, which is, how scalable is Elon Musk? Right. This is a man who sleeps on the floor of the factories when they're doing production run-ups of new cars. Uh, at some point, he's just going to be running too many things for that to be a viable management strategy, and Twitter is a particularly distracting company. What I will say about China in particular is that American companies, large American institutions that we think of as upholding our values, go to China and cave. They cave Mm -hmm. over and over again. Apple caves, Tesla has caved, the NBA has caved. There's just no way you can run into China and say, we're not going to do it your way and not see yourself kicked out, or worse, punished and broken up. We've seen that with other big companies in China, Chinese companies that get too big the government there breaks them up to reduce their power against the state itself. That is not great. That's not the American way, but it feels like you have to cave if you wanna do business in that market. And for Tesla in particular, that's a market they have to win.
3: Yeah, and Neil, I, I appreciate that Elon Musk says he's not looking to make money off of Twitter, but I think we're entering a market, especially where maybe the question is, how much money is he willing to lose uh, you know, dealing with Twitter, both running it right, Uh, in a way where he's looking to uh, perhaps dismantle its revenue model. And then, as you mentioned, uh, the cost to him reputationally that could trickle over to some of his other ventures. I mean, I'm going to be interested in in seeing, uh, hopefully we do get to see what the breakup fees look like for this deal, because uh, there's the potential that that for various reasons, uh,
2: various parties might not want it to go through. Yeah, I think that's right. I also just to make this as simple as possible, when you actually pay money for something, you want it to be good. And your expectations are way higher than for any free service. So if Twitter right now is struggling to figure out how it's gonna add the 100 million users that it has promised its existing activist board in a free model, and Elon comes in, takes it private, dismantles all that and says, now you gotta pay for this, he's actually gotta make it a better service. And making it a better service kind of looks like more content moderation. It looks like you're going to show up, it's going to recommend things to you that you are going to like, it's going to show you people that you like, and you're going to have pleasant conversations because your expectations for something you pay for are high. It is not going to look like Twitter warfare, which no one in their right mind should pay for. And I think that dichotomy, that dynamic, is something that basically no one has figured out how to solve. And Elon can sleep on the floor at Twitter headquarters, but at some point he's got to deliver a product that people want to pay for, and it is not Twitter warfare.
3: Well, I mean, that's if he wants to make money, and he's saying he doesn't <laughs> want to make money, so maybe he doesn't do that. I, I, you know, I've been off for a week. I come back. Uh, it sure looks like the the math here has changed a bit. I mean, the, the markets are down quite a bit from what they were, but um, Elon Musk is still, at least uh, ostensibly, willing to pay the same price for Twitter. I bet you that has something to do with why the board is listening closer now.
2: Yeah, I think. That, I-, I mean, he seems to be very interested in it. Can any one of us predict what Elon Musk will or won't do, or what deals will or will not close, what funding is actually secured? But even if you don't want to make money you have to have people on it to make it valuable, right? The value of Twitter is that so many different kinds of people use it. If you're going to ask all those people to pay, you've got to deliver a product that's worth paying for. If you buy Twitter and you're worried about not worried about losing money, that's great. If You buy Twitter and everyone leaves, that is the worst case scenario. And I think that's when the banks start to get jittery about what they're actually funding here and if they're going to get their money back.
0: Yeah, or it's a more efficient business. Eli. Also, why do we think that Elon Musk is going to be the one to run this. What um, has sort of given you that indication? Why doesn't he bring Jack Dorsey back once Elliott's out of the picture?
2: You know, I think that's a question for the, uh, the shareholders and the board of Block, right? They didn't like that Jack was a dual-time CEO. Elon has managed to escape the scrutiny of having so many companies to run. But yeah, who are his operators? Who is the line of managers below Elon, aside from Gwen Shotwell at SpaceX, who is, by all accounts, doing an amazing job? You don't see those operators at his other companies. And I think to scale Elon Musk, right, one thing he has to do is start to identify, here are the lieutenants that actually do the things I want at all of my companies, including Twitter. And that is one step towards reducing the risk for Tesla, towards reducing the risk for the boring company, towards reducing the risk for SpaceX, because ultimately... The man is addicted to Twitter. He loves it. That's why he wants to buy it. And he's gonna spend his time being distracted by it and its endless content moderation controversies because they are they are addictive.
0: Yeah, and what do we call that calling? is
2: a distraction for everyone else.
0: What do we call it last week? A bigger yacht than Jeff Bezos has. That's his, <laughs> his Twitter. Uh, shares are up uh, 3.5%, 50, 62. So getting a little bit closer to that 54.20. level. Nile, thanks for breaking it down with us this morning. We continue, John, to watch this uh, with reports that a deal could happen as soon as today.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, watching it is, is more entertaining than Twitter itself. Um, <laughs> Twitter is trending this morning, but investors are preparing for a big week of big tech earnings. Apple, Amazon, Microsoft all set to report this week. Meta and Apple shortly thereafter. And given what we saw from Netflix, this could be quite a week. Goldman Sachs' Eric Sheridan joins us now. Uh, Eric, welcome. So uh, given what we saw from Netflix last week, I mean, granted, it's in its own sort of category uh, compared to much larger uh, tech companies that are doing different things. But how much risk is there out there for um, these stocks to, to find different valuations?
5: Well, I think what we're going to be watching for is narrative shifts. I think what you saw with Netflix was a second quarter in a row where growth expectations, especially forward growth expectations, came in much lower than expected. And we've been talking a lot since the fall about the theme of pandemic, post-pandemic normalization. And Netflix still squarely falls in that camp where, no offense to the management team, and I think they continue to struggle for how much of their forward growth was pulled forward during the pandemic and now continue. Continuing to align growth and cost investments against what that growth is going forward over the next two years. You contrast that with Snap, where there was very low expectations. They've talked about strength in uh, uh, direct response, digital advertising. They beat on users, guided users above the street against relatively low expectations. So I think this is a game where you look at next week, this upcoming week, and it's what's in stocks. How do numbers line up against expectations? And you'll see idiosyncratic responses accordingly, I think, um, as we go through this week.
3: Eric, how much do you expect we're going to hear about Europe and the economic impact of um, the, the tragic uh, war that's unfolding in Ukraine right now, the impact on uh, sentiment and the impact on demand?
5: Yeah, so Snap last week called out a pause in brand advertising uh, for the 10 or 11 days around the beginning of the war, um, and that that actually was a global impact on advertising. So we're going to be listening uh, to the alphabets and the metas of the world and the Pinterest of the world to see if they saw something very similar. But it snapped back very quickly post that 10 or 11-day period into the second half of March. And then SNAP called out 30% growth for the first three weeks of April, which certainly is not a recession and certainly not advertising falling off a cliff like some investors fear. But generally, I would say there's three concerns among investors looking out. Uh, Number one, uh, the low-income consumer in the U.S. and whether that would trigger a recession in the U.S. Two, energy prices and the land war conflict in Russia, Ukraine, and what that might mean of the European consumer. And then obviously out of China, you've got COVID zero as a policy and how that might impact global supply chains. We're going to be listening to what the companies say on all three of those impacts going forward.
0: Eric, as a group, uh, big tech has really propped up the market. But this year, you're certainly seeing divergence within these names. And you know, potentially some of them giving up their leadership, right? I mean, they've accounted for about half of the S&P's decline this year. Do you think that at the end of the year, they will have given up material leadership in this market? Who takes their place?
5: That I'm not as aware of, you know, I think within the group, what I think you want to look for is thematic elements you want to invest behind. Uh, Irrespective of the economic backdrop, we still like cloud computing as a theme, as a firm. Uh, For us, that's Amazon, that's Alphabet, that's the number one and number three player in cloud computing right now. We still like exposure to direct response advertising. That to us is Snap. Um, It's Instagram within Meta. And it's Google search within Alphabet. So I would be aligning where I think I can get returns against some of those broad thematic elements that, yes, we're all going to have recession exposure if we go into a global recession. But where might you see some of the secular growth themes being able to outrun some of the macro impacts?
0: Eric, do you think that there's reason to be cautious on Alphabet this week? Bank of America out with a note this morning warning about possible equity write downs, right? They have many other sort of businesses within Alphabet, as well as the YouTube, uh, you know, the YouTube complex, which has been so successful. But we saw, as you've mentioned, the effect on the Ukraine war on Snap, and we'll probably see it on Meta.
5: Yeah, so while uh, really we think Alphabet's going to be a tale of two quarters, we called out a lot of strength in search. You're continuing to see recovery in some of those pandemic-impacted industries like travel and local, and you still have supply constraints in auto, which is a big search advertiser. But you look over at YouTube, and they're facing tougher comps. Uh, We're about 3.5% below the street on revenue, both in Q1 and for the full year on YouTube. Uh, The brand advertising impact that Snap called out could have an impact on on YouTube, and we have a broad uh, theme that short-form video, the rise of TikTok and Reels and Spotlight, some of these short-form video impacts are impacting longer-form video from industry conversations we've had. Uh, so we think you're going to see very strong search, weaker YouTube, and it could be a tale of two quarters. Eric, finally, do you have
3: one particular earnings report that you're especially interested in this week? I'm interested in Amazon because of the e-commerce and retail piece, the cloud piece, and then the, the labor and uh, logistics piece and all of the both inflationary uh, you know, labor uh, and energy uh,
5: signals that we could get from that. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head, John. I think if you think about it, we're going to get an update on consumer spending, globally, ex-China. We're going to get an update on cloud computing trends, advertising trends. People forget that Amazon is the third largest digital advertising company outside of China. Um, You're going to get media consumption read-throughs for Amazon Prime instead video. And then you go below the revenue line and we're going to hear about labor. We're going to hear about the jobs economy. We're going to hear about oil as an input cost. We're going to hear about fulfillment and, and logistics, where the CFO last quarter talked about margins, medium, long term. Those are elements we'll be watching for.
3: All right, and we'll be all over it here on CNBC. Eric Sheridan from Goldman Sachs. Thank you.
0: Now, I just mentioned this, but it's worth underscoring. Despite Fang's dominance over the past decade, the tech names that have lifted the S&P are now what is weighing on it the most. Bespoke noting that this year, the six big names made up nearly half of the benchmark index's year-to-date declines through Thursday. The only stock that has outperformed the S&P so far in 2022 is Apple, but only by a hair. The stock is down more than 1% this morning. Let's talk to an investor about it, Mark Asset Management CEO and managing partner Morris Mark joins us now. Uh, Morris, what are you looking for in this week of huge earnings? Where, How are you positioned?
6: You know, we have a, a sort of a bilateral attitude here. We love the companies. We're really concerned about what they say about outlook, uh, not because the businesses aren't good and not because the reported numbers uh, are going to be disappointing, but because of the war in Ukraine, because now of the prospects of the Chinese economy imploding. Uh, and because of the fact that the Fed hasn't gotten started yet. And we're trying to balance these considerations in how we're looking at our investments.
0: So you like them, Morris. Uh, which ones do you like more than others? We've seen this divergence. They've acted as a big group sort of in the last few years. you got Netflix and Meta. Which ones do you like, or all of them?
6: I think in a way almost all of them, but I think as investors. Remember, we've been hedged a good part of the year, uh, uh, we're partially hedged at this point. Uh, we don't think inflation is yet reflected in the bond market sufficiently. Uh, the outlook for the economy is uh, not bad. The e- our economy is good, but the, the outlook for the world is, is more questionable. Uh, but conversely, I don't think you want to forget one important thing, that the most important long-term secular trend in the world economy is digitalization. Mm-hmm. and the company that are structured to take advantage of that, whether they're consumer companies like Amazon, uh, whether they're information businesses like Alphabet, uh, whether they're a consumer products company like Apple, uh, whether they are a, a leading chip designer and a manufacturer like NVIDIA, those are going to be the long-term winners. And they've got the cash flow, they've got the profits, and they have the management.
3: Morris, uh, Meta and now Netflix have just been absolutely hammered uh, so far this year on earnings reports. What is the investor lesson to take away from that? Is there value there or is there potentially uh, more carnage to come?
6: Well, you've got to draw a distinction between the two. Uh, We don't think based on what we've learned uh, and based on the fact that you're looking at this uh, as tech investors, and we look at a lot of these businesses as being parts of broader industries. Netflix is in the entertainment industry. They use streaming, but they're in the entertainment industry, and they haven't developed enough TV franchises and/or any significant movie franchises, and they've got more competition in entertainment. So we don't—we're not shorted here. I think that would be too smart, okay? Because these are not stupid people. But we're not, we're not buyers here. Uh, Meta is harder, because Meta's got some great businesses. You have Facebook with probably a less attractive uh, secular trend. I think the way we look at it, we don't have to own it yet. But that's not a ne- I don't want to draw any negative inference from that comment. We, we have a lot of names that we own. We are sort of very cautious as investors, but we're investors. So we well, want to be invested in Apple and things like that. Morris,
3: I, I wonder what your thoughts are on uh, there have been a lot of spending money chasing user growth happening, not just in media, but in along this digitization trend in general. And we see Netflix perhaps um, being a cautionary tale now in that we see, you know, CNN plus. Uh, getting shut down because uh, you know Zaslav isn't willing to spend that money to chase user growth in this environment. Uh, is that a signal to investors overall about the way this might be headed?
6: Yeah, I think uh, you've got to look for management and good management. And I think uh, a combination of John Malone and David Zaslav are very intriguing. They've got a lot of legacy businesses, but those businesses aren't going away. So I think you had to judge management by what they do Cutting off CNN Plus was a gimme. I had to do it. I hope that answers that question. But I think right now we're looking at balance sheets. We're looking at profits. We're looking at cash flow. We're looking at the prospects of the business. And that's what we want to focus on. And we want to be mindful of a market environment that doesn't show that any near-term evidence of turning up.
0: So, Morris, just on that sort of broader environment and capital allocation, you've seen some hedge funds increase their cash positions as the macro environment looks tougher. What are you doing? Have you or are you increasing that cash position?
6: We did. uh, We just haven't used it yet. But we try to look at this really hard. We put some hedges in uh, and they have helped. uh, And uh, we don't want to give up on great names uh, and we want to be very mindful there are other names out there that we know will own that at some point we'd like to own. So we're trying to stay balanced, but we don't want to give up on the great names. I think I'd be too smart.
7: Hmm.
0: Okay, that long-term view. Uh, Morris, thanks so much. Morris, Mark, talk to you again soon. Thank
3: you. And it's not just U.S. equities getting hit this morning. Down S&P, both down about 1%. Chinese tech feeling some pain as well. We'll have that after the break, so stay with us. Tech Check, just getting started.
0: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. Let's get
0: a gut check on Chinese tech names. Those ADRs seeing their biggest slump since February of 2020 on the potential of renewed lockdowns, both the Shenzhen and Shanghai composite on pace for their worst month since 2016. You see the Shenzhen composite down nearly six and a half percent overnight. Tech names, they're not escaping the carnage here. Alibaba is down nearly two percent this morning. It has fallen more than 20 percent in the month of April alone. That said, though, 86% of analysts are calling BABA a buy and an average price target of $158 per share. There could be more upside ahead. The eternal problem, John, when to time that for Chinese stocks?
3: (laughs) Yeah, um, if only everyone knew. Time now, though, for a news update. Morgan Brennan has it. Morgan.
1: Hi, John. Well, here's what's happening at this hour. Crude oil prices are also getting hit by rising COVID concerns in China. In Beijing, shoppers cleared store shelves as mass COVID testing began for More than three million of the city's residents. And just in the last hour, U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm telling CNBC that American oil and gas production is rising and will continue to increase to help offset Russian output in the wake of its invasion of Ukraine. Coca-Cola shares hit a new all-time high following strong earnings this morning, higher prices and growing demand in restaurants and theaters helping fuel the earnings beat. However, the stock has now gone negative as the broader market drops about a percent. And the Chevy Corvette is going electric. GM's president telling our Philobo either a traditional hybrid or a plug-in hybrid version of the car will go on sale next year, and that a fully electric vet is also on the way. Fans of traditional Corvettes with internal combustion engines need not worry. Those models will continue to be produced. Go to CNBC.com for more details and that full interview with the GM president. Back over to you, John.
3: Thank you, Morgan. NVIDIA, now one of the biggest laggers on the S&P for April. is now the time to put your money to work in the name we will discuss after the break. Stay with us.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof-of-delivery,
6: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long
7: drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Participating McDonald's.
0: Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Bozo with John Fort. Markets are lower at the moment as an eclectic group leads the Nasdaq lower this morning. Netflix, ASML, top laggards there. Plus, Bitcoin hitting its lowest level since March. Don't miss a check on crypto. That's coming later this hour. John?
3: Yeah, and tech stocks overall uh, under pressure with the wider sell-off. The NDX now down 10% since the start of April. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now to break down what he's calling uh, a churned correction. Mike, what's that?
9: Well, we've been churning for several months right now. In fact, the S&P 500, you go back about 10 months to get to levels we uh, we first reached at where we sit today. Uh, and the main pressure point has continued to be the large-cap... Uh, tech stocks, growth stocks. You can see that here in the relative performance of the NASDAQ 100 against the S&P 500. If you did, uh, let's say, the equal weighted S&P 500 or S&P excluding technology, which is, by the way, an index and used to be an ETF, uh, everything but tech, uh, they are outperforming on a year-to-date basis. However, in the last few days, it's been a little more comprehensive. So what to make of the fact that the NASDAQ 100 is outperforming today? Uh, As a matter of fact, you also look at the Arc type stocks. Arc is up on an absolute basis. Sometimes what that can mean is Investors, specifically hedge funds, are just pulling in all kinds of bets, both long and short. So if you've, you know, you've been short the weakest stuff in the market, uh, the mega cap techs and the speculative techs, uh, maybe you're just lifting those positions as long as, as well as uh, maybe selling stuff that's held up better. That's one explanation for the near term. I do think it's going to be fascinating, though, to see the results from the likes of Alphabet and Apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple has held up much better. Alphabet looks like it's been rolling a little bit down 20% from its highs, but it's got a to bid today. See if investors grasp onto those results uh, to. see say that maybe some of the selling has been overdone.
0: Yeah, there's a Barron's piece this morning, Mike. I'm sure you saw it. The question yeah. whether Apple was the last fang standing. Um, you know, you call it churn. This market has been so picked over, right? Where does the next rotation lie? I mean, even with defensives looking expensive.
9: It's very tough to say to you. in terms of there's not that much in the way of defensible high ground uh, at the moment. And I think that, you know, that's often the way it goes with a correction. Look, you can look at the real estate uh, sector, XLRE. Those things have held up much better. If you think that it's just been a technical pullback in energy and things like mining stocks, fine, they still are in uptrends. But in general, sometimes you actually need things uh, to kind of flush more uh, broadly, more comprehensively. uh, And then you say, just where's absolute value on a multi-year basis? Never mind trying to outperform for the next three months.
0: Yeah, Mike Santoli, thanks for the breakdown. Meanwhile, keep an eye on AMD and Marvell this morning. Raymond James upgrading those names to Strong Buy and Outperform, respectively. They say that both names have strong secular drivers that will help them mitigate the sell-off. More on the semispace space That's coming up next. We're back in two.
3: Well, the iShares Semiconductor ETF setting new year-to-date lows falling below the March 14th levels. NVIDIA, just to call out one name, Down more than 40% since November. So how should you think about opportunity in the space? Here to discuss city analyst Christopher Dainley. Uh, Christopher, welcome. And we got a couple of big names coming up this week. Um, You know, Intel and Qualcomm. You said you're hearing from investors who are bullish on them, but you're still cautious. Why, given that they're both well off of their 52-week highs?
7: Really, it comes down to some secular headwinds. Uh, both of them are losing market share, uh, Qualcomm to a, a Taiwanese competitor, MediaTek, and then Intel to AMD. Um, also, we've seen some slowdowns, some evidence of slowdown in both the handset market, which is Qualcomm's largest market, and the PC market, which is Intel's largest market. And so, in particular, on Intel, uh, we're actually expecting them to guide below the street for, uh, for Q2, I believe, they report Thursday after the close.
3: So at what point, though, uh, given that they're losing share, do you see value based on the fact that they've already been punished and that if their strategy is right at this point, uh, they could go up from here?
7: Yeah, glad you asked that question. We get that question a lot. Uh, We have this um, 15 rules of semiconductor investing, and the number one rule is don't ever buy or sell based on valuation. So even though a stock could, could, quote, unquote, look cheap, uh, there's no real reason to buy it until the, the negative catalyst turns around. Uh, for Intel, it is market share. And until they get their manufacturing fixed, uh, it's going to be very tough for that stock to work. Um, on the Qualcomm side, it's a little more complicated. Uh, they are losing some share enhancement. You, you also have this um, sort of lull uh, in between upgrade cycles. The 5G upgrade cycle started uh, a couple of years ago. And then in between these upgrade cycles, the, the stock has a little bit of trouble. So we're waiting for the next upgrade cycle, which does sound like it's pretty far away, but that's been our call on like come for the last several years is buying when the upgrade cycle is in effect and it's not in effect right now.
0: And Christopher, we've got three of the largest yeah, sorry, cloud sorry. providers, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google reporting this week. What could you hear from them that might make you feel better about some of the names, the chip names that service their operations, or on the flip side, make you more cautious on them?
7: definitely so when it comes down to cloud it's all about capex or how much they're spending on equipment uh, we're actually fairly positive on the capex outlook for the cloud companies so if they were to say we're going to spend even more money uh, building out the infrastructure that would be positive um, also on the other side there's the the enterprise if you look at the data center market in semiconductors it's about half cloud like you mentioned amazon et etc uh, spending money The other half is enterprise, i.e. large corporations. So if large corporations talk about spending more money on infrastructure, that would be another positive for semiconductors.
3: Um, Christopher, you also say you're concerned about the PC market. But where in the PC market specifically? Is it more the consumer end? versus enterprise with some workers starting to return to offices. And usually when a chip maker has PC exposure, they also have exposure in data center, maybe in IOT, other areas. So who do you think is most exposed to the area that you're most concerned about in PCs?
7: Yeah, it would be the consumer. Uh, If you look at what's driven the PC strength over the last couple of years, it's been work from home, school from home, Uh, knock on wood, we're all going back to work. Thankfully, our kids are going back to school. So we look for a reversal of that trend to be mostly on the consumer side. And uh, we published a series of notes. If you look at where uh, laptops or desktop computers are being built, it's not over here in the United States. It's over in China and Taiwan. And there's these certain companies that make the laptops. They report monthly numbers. And for the last three months in a row, they have missed those uh, those forecasts. So that's why our growing caution is on the PC space. Uh, As you said, on the enterprise side, that's more by companies driven by companies going back to work. Uh, we expect some strength there. But given that the PC space has grown 10% uh, year over year for the last two years, and normally it'd be kind of a flattish growth, we're looking for a bit of a reversal eventually in PCs. So again, that's another reason why we're cautious on Intel.
3: Okay, and finally, outside of PCs, Looking at some growth areas, uh, particularly things like autos, that's something that both Qualcomm, which you mentioned before, uh, in the wireless context, has been growing a business in, and Marvell has been very focused there as well. Uh, how important is the growth rate outside of some of these companies' traditional bases going to be? Because I guess that's probably an argument that the uh, Qualcomm bulls throw at you when you talk about media tech.
7: Definitely. Now, auto is less than 10% of Qualcomm, so it's not a very big driver for that stock. They're still mostly driven by the handset space, so that's where we focus on for them. Uh, On the Marvell side, they're mostly focused on uh, enterprise and data center, and like I said before, we're we're positive on Marvell, positive on the enterprise and data center. Uh, You know, autos, strangely enough, it's only about 12 or 13% of the semiconductor market. The biggest end market for semis, uh, shockingly, is still PCs. PCs are about 30%. Uh, of semis, we're very positive on the the trends and the fundamentals in the automotive semiconductor market. There's still a ton of shortages out there. We don't think those are going to get fixed until next year at the earliest. Uh, but really, for uh, for Qualcomm, it's it's not necessarily a big driver for them. The big automotive-oriented uh, semiconductor companies would be like an onsemi, semi Devices, Texas Instruments. Uh, NXP is one of the larger exposed companies there.
3: All right, Christopher sure. Danley, thank you. Sure. Now, it might be spring, but Wolf Research says buy snow this morning and initiating the cloud data company Snowflake with a buy of $250 price target. Find out why they see the stock rallying more than 40% from here at CNBC.com slash pro. Stay with us.
0: Let's get a gut check on Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency hitting its lowest level in over a month as investors are anticipating more aggressive moves from the Fed. Like most cryptocurrencies, it is meant to trade independently of the market, but that relationship actually growing more intertwined. More intertwined than we've seen it in a while, the two-month rolling correlation between Bitcoin and the S&P increased to 0.53 on Friday. That is the highest level since late January, according to Dow Jones market data. And it's not just Bitcoin that is having a rough morning. Other digital currencies like Ether and Solana, they're trading lower as well. Bitcoin below 40K. John, this will come as no surprise to you. But... The dollar's climbing, so proving its dominance as a safe haven asset. Uh, Bitcoin not quite there yet, though. Should note, it's been pretty hovering around that 40K mark for months now.
3: Yeah, we we should also note the S&P just about at session lows. It was around uh, one and a little more percent down uh, when we started the hour. Now it's down more than one and a half percent. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought that these were supposed to be inflation hedges. And inflation is is pretty high, so we'll see where Bitcoin and others go. I know Jack Dorsey's rooting for it. Dee.
0: Yeah, not quite there yet. Uh, but as you mentioned, John, the Nasdaq down eight tenths of one percent, still the relative underperformer. But the Dow down now more than four hundred and fifty points. We're going to be back in just a moment. Stay with us.
3: Welcome back. Let's take a look at DoorDash for today's edition of Overvalued, Undervalued. Interesting note from Morgan Stanley initiating the stock with an equal rate rating and a hundred dollar price target. They like the story, bullish on the company's courier network and restaurant supply business. And the street likes it today, too. The stock's trading at about 90 bucks a share, the average target's around 160. Uh, But on the overvalued side, Morgan Stanley just thinks it's expensive, already trading at five times 2023 revenue. And it's facing a lot of the same headwinds as a lot of pandemic stocks, including intense competition. And the potential for tough year-over-year comps. Uh, the stock's been cut in half since the start of November. D, um, you know, it, it seems operationally to be continuing to do better than some competitors.
0: Some competitors. I was going to say, uh, John, if you like Uber and much of the street is positive on Uber, then you got to love DoorDash. It is more expensive on almost any valuation metric. I'm looking at price to sales ratio. That's because it's delivering in a lot of places where Uber just isn't yet. Uber is supposed to be sort of hedged a pandemic and a post-pandemic darling. Um, But you look at profitability, you look at market share, you look at going into new areas like logistics. Tony Hsu at DoorDash is doing those things. So maybe that justifies that higher valuation, but certainly it has been taken down. Notable how much it's been taken down and that it's still valued much higher than some of the other names in the space.
3: It's mostly the branching into new areas that I'm curious about. Um, You know, when the, the double dash. Are people adding on another item when they already have ordered something? Uh, yeah. How is convenience working? Are people getting the ice cream? Uh, and now they're offering uh, packages of some of the best regional foods from other places. They'll ship it to you, you know, frozen in dry ice, uh, high dollar amounts <laughs> there. Are people taking those deals? Are they signing up the right restaurants? If so, that's, that's a different business than Uber has been yeah. in with Uber Eats and it could be higher margin.
0: It could be higher margin. They're putting a lot of money behind it, right? Dashmarts, that is a big capital expenditure for the company that makes it more of a logistics company, less a 3P delivery company. So interesting to see how that turns out. Meanwhile, if you're looking for the latest market action as it happens, follow and subscribe to our podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. One more thing before we go is if you needed any more Elon Musk news, SpaceX's Starlink will begin providing wireless internet to Hawaiian Airlines passengers free of charge as early as next year, while CEO Avi Manis didn't specify exact speeds. He did praise the service, claims it would make downloading content before flying a, quote, relic of the past. The free offering could prompt competitors to do the same. Just another industry that Elon is attempting to disrupt. And, John, it is just kind of incredible how we can start a show on Musk on a totally different industry and story and end on Starlink. So when we question how much Musk can actually take on, well, a lot.
3: Yeah, but once again, he's not interested in making money, at least in this deal. You know, he seems to be all about free communication. And, you know, I love communication. Eventually, though, one imagines there's going to be a business model here, either Hawaiians paying for it or they're bundling it. I I don't know, but but I'm eager to hear how it's going to work. I I will venture to guess, though, Dee, that others will not be giving away (laughs) internet access for free to airlines. Nobody else is gonna is going to do that.
0: <laughs> we'll see. I mean, maybe he has some grand plan to monetize in the future. Tesla was unprofitable for a long time. Remember, John? Anyways, we've got the markets uh, still lower. A big week of earnings. You better buckle up, right?
3: Uh, big indeed. We're just talking about how interesting Amazon is going to be. Also, you know, Intel and Qualcomm, both of those in sort of value territory, and, and we'll see what they have to say about progress in their businesses intel trying to argue for a foundry strategy qualcomm expanding beyond uh mobile so it's going to be very interesting and that will do it for tech check
2: you've been listening to cnbc's tech check you can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m
6: if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a big mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your mcdonald's bag as a placemat then that wasn't a road trip
0: it was just a really long drive of At participating McDonald's.